Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. So, this morning we have a, a very special, uh, uh, not the word guest, but a friend, a friend of the Brian Bible Church, uh, Brother Jim Carlson, and his wife Denise are here and spending about 10 days with us. And as you know, we've announced before uh, last week that the elder board asked Jim if he'd come up and do some just consultation with us, uh, with our board as they prepared the elder board for their uh, all-day retreat next Saturday for our planning uh, session. Uh, the new remodel that we did this last year came out of those planning sessions and other ministries. And, of course, now with the transition in uh, pastoral ministry and youth pastor, uh, we thought it would be a good time. And uh, the Lord has prepared. Uh, Jim has just had a uh, – Jim came here in 1965, served here as our Christian education pastor until 71, where he went back to the Grace Bible College. He has served in pastorates in different churches, different sizes of churches. He's taught uh, Christian uh, university uh, professor classes and just had a variety of ministries that God's prepared him, uniquely prepared him, that we feel to come up and just uh, spend some time with us. And it's just so great to have Jim come. And I asked Jim if he would uh, come and share God's word this morning with us, uh, bring a sermon. And he said, well, how long do I have to preach? <laughs> and uh, I said, well, when they get up and start leaving, you know, it's time to go, Okay. <laughs> We used to have a guy, we were talking about, used to be a guy sitting right there, right behind Mark Broughton. If the pastor, pastor went too long, he'd start banging his cane. So we all knew it was, it was time to go. So, <laughs> but Jim, Lord bless you. Thank you so much for coming and giving us this time and uh, just sharing your ministry with our ministry. And uh, I think I have a word of prayer as Jim comes to open God's word today. Father, we thank you for this brother. I thank you he and Denise could come and share this time with us. Uh, we know he loves uh, your work and he loves you and he loves uh, your people. And so we are just uh, privileged to have him come and share what you have placed on his heart for us. We pray for our elder board as they prepare for their meeting next Saturday. And, Lord, uh, we pray your Holy Spirit will be uh, uh, with them as they continue to seek your leading and your will because we know how much they love this church and these people here. We're here together to serve you, to love you, to seek your face. We do love you, Lord. We are humbly say today we love you, and we ask your blessing on your word now. In Christ our Savior's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It's certainly my pleasure to be here. As Jim mentioned, we came in 19, actually 66. I was seven years old at the time uh, on staff here for five years. And I have the fondest memories of those years and those people. And some of you are still here which is terrific, and uh, thank you for the privilege of being able to come. My wife at the time was Karen. Karen graduated to heaven in 2007, and uh, God provided me with a wonderful helpmate in Denise. I stand up, and I I know you don't want to do this, but um, (laughs) she she did stand up in case you didn't know. She's barely five feet tall, so, uh, but God has already given us ten wonderful years of marriage together, and we're certainly thankful for that. Uh, there's so much I could say, but uh, we're here for more important things. So let's uh, get into it. I was born and raised in Minneapolis, Minnesota. My parents lived there, of course, my sister. 
my aunts and uncles and cousins, my grandparents on both sides. And as a young boy, I would often go to spend part of a day with my grandparents. There was one particular day I went uh, to spend with my grandmother, who lived a little closer into town than we did. And when I went to her home, it was just me and her. My grandfather was at work. And uh, frankly, there really wasn't very much to do. There were, they only had the two of us, the two grandchildren. There weren't a lot of toys or games or puzzles at home, but uh, I did spend part of the day with her. And one of the things I did is I brought along a little red ball, just a little red ball. It didn't have the shiny light that this red ball has, but you try to find a red ball in Seattle anywhere of this size, it's impossible. But I did find this one. And I went outside. I was about seven years old, maybe eight. I went outside, and just by myself, I began to throw the ball up in the air, and pretty soon I went to the front steps and began to throw it against the steps, pretending I was a major league shortstop and could dive to the left and right, pick up the ball and throw it to first. And then I'd throw it up against the house and pretend I was a center fielder where I could make the fancy catches. And and then I'd throw it a little bit higher and I'd throw it up on the roof and it'd bounce off the roof and down into my hands. And one of my throws went way up on this second story roof and it disappeared. I couldn't find it anywhere. I looked in the yard, I looked in the bushes, I looked in the flowers, I thought maybe it had gone out into the street, and for 10 or 15 minutes, I, as this little seven-year-old boy, was looking for my red ball. Finally, I went into my grandmother's house, and I said, Grandma, I, I can't find my little red ball. She said, well, Jimmy... You, I'll come out and help you. So she came out, and for the next 5, 10, 15 minutes, we looked, we searched, couldn't find the ball. She finally gave up. She went back into the house, and I continued to look for a few moments, and then I thought, well, you know what I haven't done is I, I haven't asked God. And so right there at that moment, I... I asked God, God, where's my little red ball? Help me find my little red ball. I didn't close my eyes. I didn't bow my head. I didn't get down on my knees. I didn't go over into the grass in a pastoral setting and have a prayer service of any kind. I just, from that little seven-year-old's head to God, said, God, I lost my little red ball. Help me find it. To this day, I can recall seconds later walking toward the next door neighbor's garage. There was a gutter, a drain pipe, and at the bottom of the drain pipe was a little basket. The basket would catch the leaves or twigs that came down when it rained, and there in that basket, was my little red ball. 
I was so excited. I ran into the house and I said, Grandma, I asked God to help me find my little red ball and I found it. I was so elated. Years passed, and I don't know at what point, but years passed, and as I reflected on that experience, I I came to think, why did it take me so long to ask God? Why, when I couldn't find my little red ball, why didn't I ask God immediately? And I wish I could say to you that that was about 70 years ago, that I learned my lesson at that point, and for the rest of my life, when I had a a decision to make, an issue to pray about, or that concerned me, that I immediately went to God and sought His counsel, His advice, His input, But unfortunately, that's not true. I think I'm better than I used to be. I've grown in that area. But the truth of the matter is, as we encounter issues in life, when we have to make decisions about family, about finances, about our health, when we have concerns about our faith, our job, our schooling, why don't we immediately go to God? Why don't we ask God? Why don't we consult God? Well, I would like to call your attention this morning to a phrase that's actually used 40 to 50 times in Scripture. And it kind of captures the sense of what we're talking about this morning. We're not going to go through all 40 or 50 of them, so relax. But I would like you, if you have your Bible, to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 23. 1 Samuel chapter 23. David is king of Israel. And we know that Israel had its enemies, and one of the enemies of Israel were the Philistines. And as we come to chapter 23 of 1 Samuel, beginning in verse 1, it says, When David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are looting the threshing floors, Notice the next words. He inquired of the Lord. He asked God. Saying, God, shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord answered him, go. Attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But, (laughs) that little word but, doesn't it mess you up? But, just like humans are, David's men said to him, Wait a minute, David. Here in Judah, we're afraid. 
We're scared. We're afraid of the Philistines. We're fearful of what's going to happen. How much more than if we go to Keilah against the Philistine forces? In other words, they're saying, David, God may have told you to go and take care of the Philistines. (laughs) We're not convinced. We're not sure. We don't quite believe it. And so David says, okay. Verse 4, once again, David inquires of the Lord. He goes to God again. And the Lord answers him and says, you notice he didn't say, I told you once. He just says, go, go down to Keilah, for I'm going to give you the Philistines into your hands. So David and his men went to Keilah, fought the Philistines, carried off their livestock, inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines, and saved the people of Keilah. What did he do? He asked God. Not as a seven-year-old for a little red ball, but as a king of a nation when the enemy was desirous of devouring them. There are numbers of other passages similar to this where this language, inquiring of God, going to God, asking God, seeking advice from God, seeking counsel from God. When you come to the New Testament, you'll recall in the life of Christ that one of the things that transpired was Judas betrayed him before his crucifixion. Judas ultimately died. And being one of the twelve, it was necessary to replace him. So when we come to the book of Acts, chapter 1, we read in verse 21, Acts 1, 21, that the followers of Christ had determined that they needed to get that replacement. And it says it was necessary to choose one of the men who had been with the Lord the whole time Jesus went in and out amongst them. It says in the next verse that one of these people must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they got together as believers in Christ and proposed two men. Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed. Look at the prayer. Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. They cast lots. The lot fell to Matthias. And he was added to the 11 apostles. What did they do? I'm sure they talked. I'm sure they met. But it doesn't seem to be a a big meeting with lots of debate and lots of discussion, endless discussion. It, It says they prayed. They inquired of God. They asked God. They said, God, show us who should take his place. And God did. Now, there are also occasions where people of God didn't inquire of God. 
First Chronicles chapter 15 is one of those occasions, and we won't take time to have you turn to it necessarily, but suffice it to say, in First Chronicles 15, it says that the children of Israel didn't carry the ark in the proper way to the proper place as they were supposed to do. And if you ask the question, why didn't they do it? It's simply the answer is they didn't ask God. They failed to inquire of God. And David is quick to point out in that section that they failed to do what they were supposed to do and God became very angry with them. And the reason he became so angry is they didn't ask him. They didn't seek his direction. They didn't desire his counsel. They kind of went off on their own and did their own thing, their own way, the way they wanted to do it. And they suffered because of it. You see, the whole issue that I'm raising with you this morning is really a very simple one that as committed followers of Jesus Christ, as those who belong to the family of God, as those who would call God our Heavenly Father, doesn't it seem logical that we ought to be in a frame of mind, in a practice where we're constantly going to God for His input, His advice, His counsel, His wisdom, asking God, seeking God, listening to God, and including God in every single dimension of our lives? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 is a very simple verse. It says, pray continuously. The idea there is pray all the time. Pray about everything. Consult God about anything. And as we engage in that practice, it occurs to me that there are a few things that we need to keep in mind. And as we think together about continuously seeking God, asking God, consulting God, listening to God, one of the things that we ought to keep in mind is that asking, asking God, seeking God, consulting God is going to be based on what we believe about God. When I mention the word God, something probably comes to your mind. We, we, we normally have kind of a go-to thought that arises in our minds when we think about God. I'm not asking you to think in terms of what are all the attributes of God or can you define God or can you explain God. But I'm asking you, what do you really believe about God? What do you really believe about God? A.W. Tozer was a, a pastor in Chicago in the Christian Missionary Alliance Church for many, many years. He wrote a number of great books. One of them, he says this, and I quote, 
What you think about God is the most important thing about you. What you think about God is the most important thing about you. You see, if our understanding of God, if our if our knowledge of God is inaccurate or incomplete or uh, it's just not up to what it ought to be, we will never know the purpose and plan for God in our everyday living. There are some people, for instance, who believe that God is very limited in what he can do. That he's strong and he's big and powerful, but... You know, there there are just some things God can't do. There are people who believe there are some things God doesn't know. That with the increase of knowledge in our world, God can't possibly be held accountable for knowing everything. There are people who would say they believe in God, but the God they believe in is not really interested in the stuff of life. They would say God doesn't care about a seven-year-old and a red ball. There are people who believe that God is simply overwhelmed. That he can't manage all the stuff that's going on in our world. It's a little bit like Seattle traffic. My word. Coming back 40 years later, I mean, traffic was bad when I was here, but it is awful, and it's kind of like, who in the world's got a solution to any of this? I don't know. And they just believe that God, there's way too much for God to handle. He's overwhelmed. He's, He's buried by all that's going on. And then there are some who believe that God is just old. He's out of date. He's old fashioned. Those are all inadequate, inaccurate, wrong beliefs about God and who he really is. You see, God is powerful. In fact, he can do anything, all things. Everything is possible with God. God is not unaware of what's going on in the universe. He's aware of everything, past, present, future, even things that could have happened that didn't. That's the kind of God we have. The God of the Bible is not a disinterested God. He's a caring God, a loving God. Scripture says if he cares about the birds of the, of the air and the lilies of the field, don't you think he cares about you and about me? About the issues of our life? Don't let people feed you the idea that God is some kind of a small, restricted, impotent being that maybe Maybe he was in vogue uh, two, three, four hundred years or a thousand or two ago, but not anymore. God isn't overwhelmed. God can handle it all. There ain't nothing he can't handle. 
And God isn't out of date. He's not old-fashioned. He's not surprised by the digital age, texting and iPads and iPods and computers. He wasn't surprised when we came up with the X generation, the Y generation, the baby boomers, the millennials and all of that. In fact, and we we just don't have time to read it all, but I want to call your attention to one of the greatest chapters in all of Scripture. And I literally believe that you could spend your whole lifetime in study of this one chapter and similar chapters and never begin to exhaust the depths of it. Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, if you want a picture of God, See the Sovereign Lord, verse 10 says, who comes with power and his arm rules for him. Verse 11, he tends his flock like a shepherd. On the one hand, you have this mighty, strong, powerful God. On the other hand, this tender, caring shepherd God who gathers the lambs in his arms, carries them close to his heart, gently leads those that... Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hands? God has. Or the breadth of the hands uh, that have marked off the heavens? God has. Who's held the dust of the earth in a basket? Weighed the mountains on the scales, the hills in balance, understood the mind of the Lord. Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and teach him the way? Nobody. Because he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's everywhere present, he's gracious, he's merciful, he's loving, he's just, he's holy. He is a big God. Why not ask him? Why not consult him? Why not come to him? So you see, what we believe about God is critical to that humility, humility, that, that tenderness of coming and saying, God, help me, show me, lead me, teach me, support me, comfort me. But the second thing that we need to keep in mind is that when we talk about asking, asking is something that God cherishes when I come to him about everything. God loves for us to come to him. God loves for us to seek direction from him. God loves to hear what our concerns are. He loves to be involved in our decisions. He wants to exercise His graciousness and His power and His his justice and His mercy. He wants to intervene. He wants to direct. He wants to lead. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 have been favorites of mine for years and years and years. Don't be anxious about anything. 
nothing. But what? Pray about everything. Ask God about anything. Most of us would agree that there are some decisions in life that are really important, like where should I go to college? Who should I marry? What kind of work should I do? What house should I buy? What car should I buy? When should I retire? I mean, those are big things, and, and we're all comfortable with saying, well, those are good things to pray about. But stop for a minute. Let's talk about college. Not only should I go to college, or where should I go to college, should I go to college? Should I pursue a career outside of college? What kind of a college should I go to? Who should be my roommate in college? Do I take out a student loan to go to college? Do I work first and then go to college? Do I engage in extracurricular activities at college? Do I, do I major in nursing? Do I major in math? Do I major? There are hundreds and hundreds of questions about college. Not just where should I go? Or what about getting married? Who should I marry? Good question. Seek God. Ask God. Ask God to show you, tell you. He will. But there's so much more. In that process of who should I marry? Who should I date? Ask God. Where should we go on our date? Ask God. What should we do on our date? Talk to God about what you ought to do. How much should I spend on my date? Don't ask the date. You ask God. You see, there are so many other things in each category. What if I do marry a person? What about the in-laws, the, the parents? What about having children? How many children? How do I parent those children? And we could go on and on and on, but you understand the point. When you talk about career choice, when you talk about major purchases that we make, it's not just how do I spend my money buying a house or buying a car. How do you spend your discretionary money? How much do you give to the church? How much do you save? How much do you spend on leisure activity? I mean, there are hundreds, myriads of questions. What about retirement? Should I retire? When I should I retire? I, I retired, actually, in 2012 from a church that I'd been at for 22 years. I've worked every day of my life ever since I retired. I mean, coming up here, this is the fifth church that I've worked with since I retired, plus a radio station in Grand Rapids. I never planned any of that. You see, God, God has plans. He has purposes. He has ideas. He wants to lead you. He wants to guide you. We need to go to God, not after we've hunted for hours and hours or weeks and weeks or months and months, but about all issues of life all the time. I don't know who did the research on this, but it's estimated that we make 35,000 decisions a day. 
a day. That's 12,775,000 decisions a year. And that's a billion decisions in a lifetime. I wonder if we could quantify it. How many of those decisions we've asked God about? So you see, what we need to keep in mind is not only the idea that God is God and what we believe about Him is absolutely essential so that we come to Him and recognize who and what He is. But it's also the idea that He loves it. He loves it when you come to Him about anything and everything. He's not too busy. He's got time. He cares. The third thing to keep in mind is that when we ask, when we ask God, it's life-changing when we follow through by doing whatever He tells us to do. Now, frankly, sometimes what God tells us to do, I don't like. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. Sometimes what he tells me or suggests I can't do or shouldn't do is likewise very disappointing. But the whole idea is that when we come to God, when we seek God, when we ask God, and He tells us, and we respond in obedience, it'll change our lives. It's not that I pray and God sends me a text or an email immediately and says, Jim, this is what you ought to do. It's just the idea that we're constantly in a frame of mind where we're we're praying. We're asking God. You don't have to dress up. You don't have to get in a certain posture. You don't have to go to a certain place. It's that constant communion with God. Lord, show me. Lord, lead me. Lord, guide me. Lord, tell me. And I, as a follower, a committed believer in Jesus Christ, will do what you want me to do. It might be walking into a class at school. It might be driving down the street. It might be sitting in a doctor's office, a dentist's office. It might be sitting around the dinner table with your family. And there are some very specific ways, by the way, that God speaks to us. This is a whole other sermon, which I won't preach, but you've got Scripture which says what? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for instruction for teaching, for righteous living. We've got the Scriptures. That's one way we know God has talked and is talking to us. So reading the Scriptures is like conversing with God, listening to God, hearing what God has to say, 
noticing God's instruction about how to live life, how to deal with money, what kind of a husband or wife I'm supposed to be, what I ought to be as a parent or as a child, how I should be at work, how I should be on the ball field. We also know that we can listen to God in prayer. You know, so often our praying is all one way, us talking to God. But sometimes we just need to sit still and listen to God. That's what the psalmist said, be still and know that I'm God. Hearing from God, there's godly counsel. The scriptures are full of places. I think of Paul in 2 Timothy 2.2 where he talks about Men instructing men and trusting what he's learned to them so that they could then entrust themselves to others. There's godly counsel. Proverbs says, he who doesn't listen to godly counsel will fail, but the one who listens to godly counsel will be blessed. Or the Spirit of God. As a believer in Jesus Christ, The moment we came to Christ, the Spirit of God moved in. And the book of Romans, the book of Ephesians, talk about the fact that if we are willing to listen to the Spirit, if we are willing to walk according to the the direction of the indwelling Spirit of God, if we are willing to keep step with the Spirit, we will fulfill the desires that God has for us. Asking God is life-changing when we follow through by doing what he tells us to do. I simply want to encourage you this morning. No, I want to, I want to ask you. I'd like to beg you. I'd like to implore you for your own personal good and the glory of God, develop a pattern in life to ask God about anything, about everything. Inquire of God about your personal life, personal issues. Inquire of God about your church. As Jim mentioned, the reason that we've come up for these 10, 12 days is not on our agenda, but the church, with Jim's retirement at some point, we won't talk about that because the church has asked just, could we help a little bit? God, for whatever reason, has allowed me the privilege over these last retirement years to help these churches. and I don't know what I'm doing. I just try to do whatever God tells us to do. To be whatever God wants us to be. And, and Jim has been here faithfully serving the Lord for 30 plus years, 25 as senior pastor. It's already been mentioned that next Saturday there's an important board meeting, a board retreat. Denise and I, along with several of the congregational members, have been meeting with people, and we will this coming week, just to gather information. 
and perhaps offer some ideas, suggestions, observations about what the future might hold. And, and I simply want to say to you, ask God. Please ask God. Spend time praying. Not just once a day before you go to work in the morning or before you go to bed at night, but throughout the day. Ask God, God, what do you have for Berean? What's your plan? What do you want us to do? You for years, 50-some years, have been, as somebody that we met with this week said, a light in the midst of spiritual darkness. In Seattle, there's like every city. We live part-time in Phoenix. Phoenix is spiritually dark. Grand Rapids, with its 500 churches within the city limits, is spiritually dark. We have the privilege of being light, bringing hope as we share the claims of Christ and see people come to know the Lord and grow in Him. But what occurs will be dependent upon the people of this church asking God, praying, consulting God, pleading with God, seeking God. So as you leave this morning, we've prepared a a little bookmark type thing. It's so simple, it's embarrassing. But I did it, so I can say that. It just says, ask God. Ask God this week, these seven days, When you're driving, when you're walking, when you're with your family around the dinner table, in small groups, when you go out for coffee, pray, 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 pray. And ask God, number one, to show him, to show you himself. Just how great he is. How big and powerful and mighty he is. Acknowledge him for all he's able to do. He cares much more about this church than you and I have any capacity to care. Ask him to show himself in your life, in your church. Ask God to show you yourself. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my ways and see if there's Any wicked way in me. Some of you may be far from God. For some of you, maybe God is just something you think about on Sunday morning for an hour or two. Maybe you're angry with God. Maybe you're harboring sin in your life. I don't know. But wherever you are, whatever is going on, just ask God to search your heart and and draw you close to Him, that powerful Mighty, awesome God. And then, God, show us what we should do, do to be what you want us to be. As an individual, but especially as a church. God loves this church. I love this church. I can't believe this church. I was 24 years old. I didn't know up from down. Still don't know much about up from down, but 
And this church took me on as a Christian ed director, and it was a wonderful five-year experience. I love this church, but God loves it more. God's got a purpose, a plan for this church. Ask God to help the board, the staff, Pastor Jim, to know what he wants you to do, to be in regard to the leadership of this church in the future. God wants this church to be a lighthouse. He wants this church to be a place where people come to Christ. He wants this to be a place where people continue to grow, where kids and young people mature in their faith and go to the mission field, go into ministry, go into the nursing profession, to the law profession, to, to the Boeing factory and be a testimony for Christ. And that will happen if you ask God. The church that I served for 20-some years most recently in the 80s was making a decision about location. That's not a decision you're going to make, but you'll understand the principle. They were in downtown Grand Rapids and they were trying to determine whether they should stay there in a declining neighborhood with very little residential um, activity surrounding them. And should they move? They had meeting after meeting, year after year. And as they approached making a final decision and recommendation to the congregation, the board was meeting. They were about to decide what to tell the congregation and bring to a vote. The pastor was at that meeting and he hadn't said a word. He just listened. And finally, the chairman of the board turned to him and said, Pastor, you've been very quiet during this meeting. What do you think? And he simply said, Leave room for God. Brian, leave room for God to do what he wants to do as you anticipate the leadership change at Berean Church. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for being a mighty, powerful, loving, gracious God. Thank you for sending your son Christ into this world to give his life so that we as sinful human beings, through faith alone in Christ, can be made new creations. Lord, may this church lean upon you, ask you, consult you, so that they might do and be what you want them to do and be to you, to your glory. And we will give you praise as we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. And all God's people can say together. Amen. Amen. Are you glad you came to church today? I trust you've been challenged, encouraged, refreshed. As you leave today, our elders uh, have the bookmarks that uh, Pastor Jim uh, referred to, and we'd encourage you to just take one with you and follow through and pray for our church ministry. The wonderful thing is also God already knows. 
God already knows. God knows what this ministry is going to look like 50 years from now. We've been here over 50 years. The Lord doesn't return. He already knows. And he's called us to be faithful, to pray, to serve together, to love, to share God's love. And I'm glad that you can be a part of that. And so I know you'll follow through and pray. And also, it came up at our meeting last, this last week that someone said, well, I want to, I want to talk to Jim. You know, I want to spend time. I'd like to, and obviously because of time, we, the elders, the search committee, and then we, we, we picked this kind of a sampling of different heads of leaders of ministries, ages, to get a sampling of our congregation, just to give Jim as he helps our board, just some, uh, a good picture of our church family for a profile. But if you ever want to share your thoughts, your concerns, your ideas, our shepherds, the elders of this church, they are here to listen to you. And you always have a place that you can go to. Anything you want to share, anything you want to pray about, that's what they are for. They are the shepherds of this flock along with the church staff. And who are they? They're the people you see on the way out uh, each Sunday. We have their names in the bulletin at times. You know who they are. And they are, they are here to minister to you. Let's do together what God has called us to do. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you for your goodness, your kindness, your care for your ministry. Lord, this is your work. This is your ministry. And we are just simply humble servants who are here to do what you have uh, given us the privilege of doing, representing you in this community, in this neighborhood. Bless this ministry. Lord, may uh, your love be known to what uh, you've given us and what you've placed in our hands. We thank you for the opportunity to come today to worship, to serve, to bring a place where our children young people can grow and learn from your word. In Christ's precious name, we pray these things. Amen. 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 Jim.